0: Hi everyone and welcome to episode 81 of Shaman Talk. My name is Rhonda and I'm your host. And this week is a follow-on from last week. So last week we talked about common cognitive distortions or negative mindsets. Um, And many of you resonated with that topic. So I thought this week we could explore some ways to work more effectively with these distortions. So you can use any one or a combination of the methods I'm gonna to describe today. And the idea is to combat your irrational, automatic thoughts and cognitive distortions. So if you didn't catch last week's podcast, it might be better to listen to that first and then come back to this one. So you can have a listen and then try a few out and look for the one that seems to work best for you because obviously different people respond to different things in different ways. And we'll have um, a wee project to do in part two, as always. So let's just dive right in. So the first step is to identify your cognitive distortion. So like I say, if you haven't listened to last week, go ahead and do that. There's 13 common cognitive distortions that I describe and that will really help you to to do the identification part. But really the most important step of fixing or dealing with or seeing or opening up to any problem in your life is identifying. I'm going to rephrase that, not any problem in your life, but any cognitive distortion in your mind is really to identify the distortion and also how extensive is it in your life? So last week, again, the podcast will help you to do that as well. There's a couple of exercises last week that help you to really hone in on your distortions and to begin to really notice when they're happening. So identifying and tracking these distortions in your daily thinking first before you start working to change them is probably a good idea. Because unless you know what you're dealing with, it can be harder to deal with it, right? We don't really know what we're, <clears throat> what we're trying to do otherwise. So have a wee list of thoughts you're having throughout the day. Maybe take the time to write them down, that kind of thing. And then that will let you examine that list for later. Um, And also this process of examining your cognitive distortions without trying to fix them initially lets you think about the predicament in a more natural or realistic manner without putting yourself under lots of pressure to fix it. So in the first instance, listen to last week's podcast and then take some time to really identify what your cognitive distortions are. And once you feel like you've got a good handle on what your mind is doing and maybe in what order as well, maybe you could choose one distortion that really is your main issue, then you can move on to trying some of these techniques. So the first technique is to examine the evidence. So imagine you are a judge overseeing a trial and the next step really is to remove yourself from the emotionality of the event, upsetting event or episode of irrational thinking in order to examine the evidence. Okay? So if you're overly self-critical, spend a bit of time thinking when you had successes. Go back to your last success as you see it. Um, there, there's another... Technically, it involves asking friends for some support. But again, if you struggle to do that, then ask somebody, where am I successful in my life? Where, where are things working well for me? Give me some evidence. Collect evidence that you are overly critical of yourself and perhaps the things that you're saying are not true. One effective method for examining evidence or another method is to look out or individual thoughts connected to the event and objectively decide whether those statements reflect an opinion or a fact, right? So when you make a statement like, I'm selfish or there's something wrong with me, that's an opinion. When you say, my partner spoke angrily towards me or I forgot to post a letter, an important letter today. Those are facts. So by removing facts and opinions, by segregating them, by having them separately, you can start to determine which are likely to be part of a cognitive distortion, which are the opinions, and give you more focus and efforts. Um, to To be able to undo those, so you can take the time to write those down and write facts, and then what you can do is take the time to repeat those facts to yourself. I, you know, I forgot to post this letter, as a fact. There's something wrong with me as an opinion. There's nothing wrong with you we all, we're all forgetful sometimes are you catastrophizing Are you you know and then you can start to you know black and white thinking that kind of thing all or nothing so you can start to identify this more specifically what that moment relates to as well right so we're segregating fact from opinion and that can really help to take the power out of a cognitive distortion. Right double standard double standards having a double a double standard and we all i know from the group that many of us do not like double standards. We like fairness, we're into justice um, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse there's a dark and light side to everything, but what is true is that we talk to ourselves in a way that we would never talk to somebody else. Or most of us wouldn't allow anybody to talk to us like that. So an alternative to this self-talk, the self-talk that's harsh and demeaning and cruel, is to talk to ourselves in the same compassionate and caring way that we would when we talk with a friend in a similar situation. So what I find really helpful for my cognitive distortions, which are often negative self-talk, um is to see myself as a, or see my mind or my inner self as a different person almost. To see them, to think, right, this person's in this situation, they've come to me for help, what would I say? So we're usually so much harder on ourselves than the people that we love and care about. And we would never speak to a close friend or family member in the way we speak to ourselves in our mind. So it can be really helpful to separate that and and imagine that you're speaking to a friend instead that's really useful and then what you can do you can do is you can hold you know they stop holding yourself you're treating yourself with a different standard to everybody else so we we move towards using one single standard one way of talking one kind compassionate understanding thoughtful standard all right So, just as a roundup of this one, would you, you know, so let's think about it like maybe like exams or something, and you're telling a friend you're going to screw this up, just like you screw up everything. You would never say that to a friend before an exam, but those are the kind of thoughts that you would say to yourself. So, change it. What would you say to a friend? You're going to do really well on this exam. I just know it. I've got complete faith in you. You studied hard for it you did your best you'll get the best mark that you possibly can i believe in you or something like that so that can be a really good way to really good project to work with so next thinking in shades of gray so lemon to undo black and white or polarized thinking can be really challenging and i know it can be really challenging because I've had to do it and one of the things that I found out recently which I didn't know is that our minds take cognitive shortcuts to simplify processing information in order to expedite our ability to make a decision or to choose a response. So actually the way that our mind kind of works as mammals is to Pro, is to simplify things for us now that can be that can be good that you know black and white thinking sometimes can serve a purpose but often also it leads a person down the path of irrational belief as well to have got to watch for both so really what we want to do is we want to think about a way that we can move into shades of grey Yeah, away from either or, or it must be this or that, or black or white, or yes or no. Lots of shades of grey in between. So what can be really useful is that it it, is to evaluate things on a scale. So one to ten, or like one to hundred. You know, depending on how specific you want to get about it. You know, when a plan or goal that you've had isn't fully realised, think about it and evaluate the experience as a partial success. Think about the things that went well. Think about what you learned. Because often when we fail at things or when we don't manage something, there's learning in that. And the most successful people I know use their failures as forward momentum, as learning opportunities, as ways to move forward. So what did you learn? What will you do better next time? What will you change next time? How much you learned can really put the evaluation a lot higher. So, for example, for myself, over the three or four years I've been running this business, this centre, this um, place of spiritual work, I've made many mistakes. I've um, tried to do things that don't work. I've put out courses to crickets and nobody's been interested I've had clients that simply just didn't resonate with the work that I did and you know a couple of times of the hundreds of people that I've seen there's been a couple of times where I've offered a refund because they've simply not gotten what they wanted from from the experience and all of those things can really could really have caused me to stop what I'm doing and say I'm not good enough Nobody wanted to do my course. Nobody wanted. This person thinks I'm terrible. You know, and, and occasionally I'll get abuse. I'm on social media, a lot. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I'm particularly on TikTok, which is way more. Well, I've got eighty thousand followers on TikTok, and it's way more difficult to to manage that number of people in terms of like the rules that we have on Facebook. And Instagram's not that busy. But on TikTok, I'll get people who are downright abusive. You know, they'll say all kinds of mean, horrible things. And I could really let that affect me through black and white thinking, through all or nothing, through the belief that one person says something and therefore it must be true. So in those moments, you know, I think, okay, this person has a a criticism Is is it relevant? Can I learn something from it? Sometimes people's criticisms can be quite useful, actually. Um, As long as I don't take them personally, as long as I don't let them drain me of energy, as long as I don't let them uh, force me to think about myself or my business in a way that isn't true, then it can can be quite useful. I've gotten some pretty good podcast topics out of abusive (laughs) Um, comments and um, I just see people in compassion and can move on but I do use the scale as well so that idea of like right okay so this post I put out has gotten 40 to 60 percent good feedback and maybe 40 to 60 percent terrible feedback how can I change that what did I say what was triggering for people how can I learn from that is that something I need to do or is that something that some people are just triggered by and I've got to let that go and move on. So I evaluate things in that way. Okay. Now, the, there's something called the experimental method. It's the next one. So can you test, for the scientists among you, for the more rational among you, can you test whether your irrational thoughts have any basis in fact by using the same kinds of methods that science uses in order to test the hypothesis, all right? So for example, let's say you've been putting off organizing your family photos, because it'll take too long, it'll be too hard, whatever it is that you're thinking, that's that's putting your procrastinating about. It seems like a very daunting task, but what if the task was broken down into smaller parts? such as, you know, you'll do a year at a time or a month at a time even. Is that irrational thought that it will do hard or it will take too long still true now that you've broken the task down into smaller, more attainable components? Another example of testing, 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 testing. So you think that perhaps you're going through a bit of a, a phase where you think that your friends don't like you. You feel left out. You feel like an outsider, like an outcast. They never, Maybe they've kind of not connected with you on social media or you've seen they've gone out together and not invited you or something like that. What you could do is test whether it's true. You can ask your friends outright. You can reach out to them and ask them for lunch or drinks. Something like that. And while it's not likely that all of your friends will feel comfortable having that kind of conversation or will be free on the day that you want to go for lunch, it's likely that by testing and asking and communicating, then you will receive clear evidence in support of the fact that your friends do or do not like you. I can't say that they do or they don't. But the point is that neither can you because you haven't collected any evidence. You haven't tested your hypothesis. Okay, It's a bit like some of the um, oh, I may be getting into dangerous ground here but let's do it anyway. It's like some of the, the more out there conspiracy theories that um, I hear people talk about now um, that have absolutely no basis in fact whatsoever and mostly are completely physically and scientifically impossible but people don't have the They've not tested their hypothesis. They're just going with the story and the narrative that they've either read from someone else or they're telling themselves in their head, which is not the same thing as fact. It's not the same thing as um, scientific knowledge. It's not the same thing as understanding that you haven't tested what you're saying. Some people think they have because they've read something on the internet, but I mean, I could go on. I'm not going to do that. I realise I could go on a rant right now. (laughs) I'm going to rein myself in. Point is, guys, cognitive distortions. Test your hypothesis. Okay. Now, survey method, asking people for support. And I mentioned this earlier. So, you know, this method is focused on asking other people to help you determine how irrational your thoughts might be. So that's asking a trusted friend or partner or family member about their thoughts and attitudes. Um, Sorry, whether your thoughts and attitudes are realistic, whether they're real, all right? So what can be one of the stumbling blocks with this one is that most people who are very attached to their cognitive distortions, because you do get really attached to them, don't want people to tell you that you're being irrational it can be very triggering so try and choose someone that you you trust try and choose someone who's not gonna then move into a split space of telling you what you should do about that right so we don't want that doing we? we just want them to tell you whether what you're thinking is reasonable or not so make that very clear in the beginning i need to have a conversation with you i need some help I'm not asking for advice. I don't want you to tell me what to do. What I need from you is information on whether or not my thought processes are realistic and reasonable. That's all I'm asking for. Please don't give me any advice. Alright? So you can be really clear with people about what you're actually asking for. Communicate clearly what you need. Because all that will happen is if you're not clear is that they won't really know what you're asking for. And it just becomes annoying and probably quite triggering anyway so for example you might have the belief that romantic partners don't fight don't fall out don't argue and if they do then maybe they don't go to bed angry with each other so maybe you've got friends who appear to be in a happy relationship with each other so start there that person you can ask them about that you can say okay my partner and I have a fight and I think we're going to split up because of it. And that friend, you know, is, that seems to be in a happy relationship, hopefully will say, couples fight, you need to work through it. Um, you know, when you have an argument or you're in a difficult position, then communication is key, blah, 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 whatever they say. But what you will realise is that all couples fight. And well, you know, Scott and I always try not to go to bed angry and we're getting better at it. 14 years together and now we manage that most of the time. It's very rare that we go to bed angry now. It took a long time. Many nights I've lay in bed seething till one in the morning. Angry as hell about what this or that but my relationship was fine despite that. So, you know, ask people but just be very clear on your boundaries so you're asking to double check the rationality of your thought you're not asking for any advice about the specific thing that you're thinking about all right so next that I should I should do this or I shouldn't do that the semantic method is what it's called so if you're one of those I am or used to be well sometimes I still do it when a person in fact The time podcast was really helpful for me. I realised I still was in a space of saying I should be doing this or I should be doing that. And the time podcast that we did the other week, when I was doing the research for that, learned a lot for myself around how I still use these statements when I was doing things. So rather than saying... So now what what I say is when I hear the I should's coming up in my mind, I say... This is what I'm spending my time on right now. This is what I'm spending my time on right now. This is what I'm spending my time on right now. And very quickly that quiets the shoulds and I found that really helpful. Anyway, that's my perspective on the shoulds and, and what I've been doing with it. But the semantic, semantic method that I've been reading about, I've been trying as well, which is also very good. So when a person engages in, a series of these should statements they're applying a set of rules to their behaviour that probably doesn't make much sense to anybody else you know if you were to say out loud so should statements are really implying a judgement about your behaviour and or maybe even about other people's behaviour if you're a you should you're a you shoulder you should do this and you should do that as, as a judgement call on someone's current behaviour because it's missing what you think they should be doing which is a judgment which is why we don't have um, and don't allow that kind of chat in the group in the community facebook community group because it's very judgmental anyway so when you're using should statements for yourself try substituting it for some other some different words for example it would be nice if right so the semantic difference can work wonders in your mind. So when you stop shooting yourself all the time, shooting yourself to death, should, 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 and you start to change your word in to something more positive, things start to change. So shoulds make you feel guilty and bad about yourself. Oh, I should be doing that. I should definitely be doing something else right now. Judgment. However, you could say, wouldn't it be nice if I started to watch what I ate more. I should eat more healthily. I should really be eating more healthily. Wouldn't it be nice if I could eat more healthily? So it puts the thought into a more curious, inquisitive phrasing. And honestly, one where the answer might be yes, but it also might be no. For example, if you've got enough on your plate right now and you're doing some deep spiritual work, you might not have the capacity to also deal with food issues as well, which is perfectly okay. So when we take the shooting out and put in the wouldn't it be nice, it could be very helpful. Okay. So definitions. We've only got, so this is number eight and then we'll do number nine after this. We've got nine all together. So we're on definitions. So for people who are more intellectual and like to argue about the intimate minutia of things... This method of calling out your cognitive distortions might come in handy for you. So, for example, you think of yourself as, I don't know, a loser or inferior or a fool or strange or something like that. Not good enough. If you start an examination of these labels, you may reveal that the more Closely represent specific behaviours or a behaviour pattern rather than you as a whole person. So, you know, when you start to argue or debate with your label that you've been using, the results can be really surprising. So, like if you're thinking of yourself as inferior, who are you inferior to? Inferior to who? People at your work? Your family, your friends? What what so if it's people in your workplace, what are their specific work experiences and background? Why do you feel inferior to them? Isn't everybody inferior to someone else at some point? What does inferior even mean? Is that even a fair or just word to be using to label what it is that you're experiencing? So debate, and debate to win as well, okay? Argue or debate to win. The more questions you ask when challenging a definition or a label you've given yourself, the more you'll likely come to realise the uselessness of those labels. Okay, so that's, that can be quite a fun one to do on a debate. And finally, cost-benefit analysis. That's the accountant in me coming out now. So this method for answering an irrational belief relies on motivation rather than facts. So in this technique, it's helpful to list the advantages and disadvantages of your feelings and thoughts and behaviours. So a cost-benefit analysis will help you to figure out what a person is gaining, what you are gaining. What are you gaining from feeling bad? And from having these distorted thoughts, and then how will it hurt me? So, you spend a bit of time listing the advantages of those negative distortions and the disadvantages. And when you see the imbalance of your cost benefit analysis, you may find it easier to talk back and refute your belief, your irrational belief, your cognitive distortion. You can use this before you do try one of the other techniques, for example. So you can put yourself in a, an understanding of how actually how much you're disadvantaging yourself by holding on to these distortions. And it may help just to give you a wee boost in order to really implement and work with the other ideas that I've, that we've talked about today all right so that's where we're at lots of ideas lots of different ways to think about it and as always this is a shamanic podcast you know shamanic wisdom ancient wisdom coupled with modern understanding of um, the psyche as well so all of that was all very modern right so when you're doing, when you're working with all of these aspects, with all of these steps, call in your guides at the same time. Always, you don't need to do this work by yourself. Your guides are always there, whether you know them or not, whether you've met them or not is irrelevant. We all have guides. You might call them guardian angels. You might call it your higher self. You can call it whatever, whatever you like, but there is help there for you, okay? So when you're identifying your cognitive distortion or you're trying to examine the evidence and you're getting frustrated because you can't see past it maybe do a wee journey with your guides maybe call them in maybe set sacred space and you know set yourself up with a free half an hour in sacred space where you can work with these methods so whatever methods it is that you're trying whatever you're doing don't forget to bring the spiritual into the practice don't forget that it's completely available for you alright so in part two I'm going to give you a couple things to try just to support you with um, these nine techniques I've given you today so if you like to write things down now would be the time to get a pen and paper and I'll see you in part two in just a second hey guys and welcome back to part two so the first thing I'd like you to do is simply to take the time to put some of these techniques into practice. Choose techniques that you feel drawn to and also I'd like you to try a technique that you don't feel would be right for you. That you think, nah, I'm not, I'm not really into that. It doesn't really resonate. Because sometimes we'll be really surprised by trying something that we don't think will work. Our tricky, resistant mind will manifest in the strangest of ways sometimes so do try one that you think isn't for you okay and then take some time to feedback in the group in the community group let us know how you get on with it it's important to share our experiences and to inspire others and to hear that everybody is going through something similar and maybe to hear um, people's successes. So it can be really inspiring to hear people have put things into practice and it's made a, made a difference, made a change. It can really help others to find the, find the motivation, to find the ability to take an action. So really it's to, to take the time to go to the group and to share your experiences as a form of being in service to the rest of the tribe. It really does open up the conversation. And you'll notice on the posts that I do that When two or three people, usually the same people, comment, it really does open the floodgates, and lots of lots of people then comment. That's what I've noticed anyway. So it really is helpful and useful to everybody if you feel able to share your experiences in the group. All right, that's the first one. Next, what I'd like you to do is a journey, of course, with your guides. Now, cognitive distortions can be caused by a wide range of um, life experiences. And sometimes we'll never know what the moments are that cause our cognitive distortions, but it can be helpful to ask for healing for those moments anyway. Now, last week's journey was similar and that in that you were asking for support and help with your cognitive distortions. And this week what I'm suggesting that you do is go on a journey with your guides and ask for whatever it is that you need this week to help you to put these techniques into practice. So it could be a healing, it could be information, it could be um, anything really. So just be really open. So that's quite quite a wide intention. So bear in mind that when we have a wide intention, it can be a little bit more difficult to interpret what we're given. So don't worry too much about that. Just go in, go into the journey, and ask what it is that you need. Ask to be given what you need to help you work with these techniques, to start to overcome our cognitive distortions. All right? And again, get yourself into the group, share your experiences if if you feel like you can do that. I know sometimes it, experiences can be quite private and that's absolutely fine. But if you feel like you can share, we're always very grateful for the engagement. So I hope you enjoyed our podcast this week. I hope you found it a useful follow-up to last week's podcast. And as always, thank you so much for being a part of our community. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I'm always um, humbled and amazed at the Um, the amount of people who do listen it's it's amazing so thank you to all of my listeners I really do appreciate you an awful awful lot so have a great week and I'll see you here same time same place next week hey thank you so much for listening we love it we love you we love connecting with you on our podcast Mm -hmm. We're really pushing our Facebook community right now. It is where all the Juicy Shamanic stuff happens. So, if you'd like to join us in that community, you'll find us on Facebook and look for the Centre for Shamanism community group. And we'll see you there.